everybody, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Did It Anyway. My name is Baron Grant, and I'm really grateful to have everybody online having a listen today. And I'm really excited for the guest, the special guest that I've got with me today. Um, and you'll understand as I explain a bit more about her. Um, pretty special to me, that's for sure. So on the previous podcast, we've spoken to uh, people who have gone through some really challenging times in their life, and but have come out the other side with amazing things that they've learned um, and a real determination to go and succeed in whatever area it is that they want to succeed in. Uh, not always financial, because sometimes we always look at success as being a something to do with finances, and it's certainly not always about finances. And so I'm really excited to meet with these different people that I'm chatting with and be able to hear their story, because it's just amazing, some of the, the experiences that they've gone through. And I know that many of you listening um, have gone through similar type experiences um, to the people that I've been interviewed, that I've been interviewing. So, uh, well, welcome along to another episode. Now, today, uh, in this episode, I'm really excited to actually be interviewing my mum, uh, Jill Grant, and th- you'll understand why I've chosen to interview her uh, because her her story is incredible. We're going to touch on just a few parts of her story today, uh, and there's so many other things that we could talk about that we're not talking about. But I'm really excited to um, have her on today. And uh, and she's very nervous uh, coming on and having to speak on a recording. And um, as many people are when I actually meet with them. But um, if you want to say hi, mum, get started. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and so she's nervous about um, her accent and her voice. and But it's all good. She's just here to tell her story. And we're really happy to have her here. Well, I'm really happy to have her here. That's for sure. So a little bit of a synopsis. So... I chose my mum to interview for this podcast because she's one of the uh, most mentally strong people that I've ever met in my life. And sometimes as a mum, I think mums can feel like their their job is a little thankless and a little challenging and probably a little monotonous. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and But I, I think it's one of the greatest jobs in the world and the work that they do from my perspective, is is simply incredible. So um, I've interviewed a couple of men already, and I thought, what what, what better place to start than with my mum? So to, to get started, um, the bit of backstory, I guess. So I come from a family of 10 children. So I've got three older sisters and six younger brothers, and a pretty hectic household would be fair to say. And my mum was always the stalwart where she was just, she just did everything. Everything that you can imagine she did and did it for 10 children. So pretty impressive effort. But I'm going to hand over to her just for a little while. And she's going to share with with us um, some of her story and where she came from and how she uh, became so successful to be able to rear 10 healthy children, uh, which I think is a superhuman effort. Take away any job in the world. That is a, that is a, a brilliant effort, if you ask me. So um, I'm going to take... Now, to start off, mum was diagnosed with an illness very early in her life and, and came from England. Actually, we, we migrated from England early 80s. Is that right, mum? 82. 82. And so mum's going to tell us just a little bit about um, an illness that she was diagnosed with. I think when she was one, a lung disease that has caused her massive problems um, her whole life. And if she happens to cough on this podcast, that would <laughs> be why. <laughs> she said she'll try not to. But if she does, that's why. But So I'm going to hand over to mum. Tell me a little bit about that disease, mum, um, from when you were one. Okay. Um, we, I was born in Wolverhampton, which is just outside of Birmingham. And it was called the Black Country. And the reason it was called the Black Country was there were a lot of tall chimneys with black smoke coming out of them. It was a very industrial area. So there were a lot of lung 
problems there and they realised when I was about one that I had this persistent cough and they couldn't really see because I was so little as to what it was. But as I was getting older, I was constantly having chest infections, bronchitis, pneumonia, pleurisy and all of that constant. It was just one batch of antibiotics after another. And they finally realised when I was about four or five that I had a thing called bronchiectasis. Now, bronchiectasis isn't fatal, but it does give you issues with your lungs where there's a lot of mucus and phlegm on the lungs and, and you can't clear it. But what actually aggravated my problem was the fact from the age of five to 11, I used to have to go three times a week and have physiotherapy to try and clear clear my lungs and it wasn't working. And they were sitting, in, they used to sit me in front of a big big radiation lamp, I can see it now, big round one. Everybody else was wearing lead aprons and <coughs> glasses and I was sitting there just in my underwear and they did this three times a week from the ages of five till I was 11 and thinking that they were melting the rubbish off my lungs. But basically I found since I've been in Australia that they actually fused my lungs. So whatever was down on the lungs stayed on the lungs. So that's the problem that I've had ever since. So you've, you've spoken before about one lung just doesn't work real well no, at all? No, so. no I had. Uh, if you see an x-ray of my lungs, one's got a quite a good shape to it, the other one doesn't really have a shape at all. <laughs> and the doctor used to say it was just mushy. Um, that, that was because they'd fused it and I, I lost the ability to cough anything up and I... So I'm stuck with it, so I get lots of infections still, so that's what it is. So only two weeks ago I had... Yes, I've just got over pneumonia and pleurisy <laughs> together. <laughs> That was fun. <laughs> Never mind. Eh? Good times. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was all the way back when you were, you know, a child. Yeah. Now, what was your your mum was told something by the doctor yeah. early on before yes, five, when I was I about uh, when I was about I can't remember the exact age, but I was like at primary school, and he says if you want Jill to live, you've got to take her to Australia. And my mum just poo-pooed the idea and thought it was a load of rubbish. So we didn't go to Australia. I didn't get here till I had five children. So amazing to me that even in England they realise that Australia is the lucky country. Is that right? <laughs> no, no tall chimneys. Chimneys aren't there anymore. The air's you know, cleaner and the sun breathe there now, so that's good. The air's cleaner and the the, <laughs> yeah, the uh, weather's warmer. Yes, yeah. yes, right. So you're here now, which is great. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to skip forward if I could. Yeah. Now, um, challenging childhood um, yes. would be fair to say, and. Um, yeah. uh, I'm going, to, I'm going to put it out there, you're abused as a child. Yes, abused as a child from very early age. I've actually got a photograph of when I was one in a little black and white photo and I couldn't understand why I was always miserable on this photograph. And Mum had got a photographer in to have this photograph taken and, um, and I realised then that um, something had just happened with her and I actually hadn't got any underpants on and so I was a little bit... That was the reason. And, yeah, um, yeah so that's the sort of age group that it started from. So... So I guess we won't go into too much detail, obviously, it's yeah. too heartbreaking, but yeah. um, so as a child, you were physically and sexually abused, yes. um, and that obviously um, affected you uh, for a long time in your yeah. life, and we'll, we'll we'll touch on some things that happened um, in your life, um, and obviously, your mindset was, was bashed up a fair bit mm. um, from, yeah. from um, certain things that happened mm. as a child. Um, I want to skip forward though, uh, but I want you to keep that in mind. I guess I want you to skip forward to when you were nineteen. Um, yeah. This was nineteen seventy now. Nineteen seventy. Um, yeah. Seems like a long time ago. It's not yeah. really. End of the flower power year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nineteen seventy. So tell me what happened in nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy. I was nursing. I'd always wanted to nurse, even though I spent most of my childhood in hospital, and. Um, 
I'd been dating a guy, um, Paul, who was Indian, and I found out that I was pregnant. But I went to the doctor and he said to me, you're pregnant. I said, no, no, no. I thought if I maintain the cliche that I haven't got a boyfriend, you'd have to change the diagnosis. <laughs> so I kept saying, no, I'm not pregnant. And... Um, and he said, Jill, I actually gave birth to you. You know, yeah, I, I, I was the doctor when you were born. I'm telling you, you're pregnant. You're four months pregnant. And I just just sank back in the chair and I thought, I'm dead. I'm so dead. And, uh, yeah. So, so tell me, tell me, of hell. tell me a bit about that because you're, so 1970, before yeah. we talk about um, your mum and her mm. reaction mm. And, and your dad, 1970, so you're, you're pregnant now out of wedlock. Mm. Um, what is the what's the the cultural view of that in 1970? Well, we're still sort of coming out of the dark ages a little bit, and um, and I think uh, there's a stigma. There's a stigma to the fact that you'd had sex with a guy before you had the wedding ring on your finger, and um, it, it it's a big stigma. And with my parents especially, uh, it was a double whammy because they were very very racist, and so that was one. And the fact that I was pregnant as well. And ironically, the year before, my sister had gone through the same experience, but because hers was a white person, that was okay <laughs> for some reason, but mine wasn't, but that's okay. But yes, no, it was a big stigma. It was. So it's interesting, I found it interesting that you even said that he was Indian, yes, <laughs> to yes. mention at the start, but yeah. you know, we live in a very different society now, now, obviously, yeah. and... and um, yeah. And and so now you found out that you're pregnant, yeah. and you're 19 years old. Yes. So you're an adult, by the way. Yes. Uh, but still living at home. 21 in those days. Right. Okay. I think right. you might. Have, okay. But I'm still an adult. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So <laughs> living at home with mum and dad, and what were you most scared of? You, you mentioned that you were scared. What were you most scared of? Telling her. And I came out of the doctors, and my sister was went with me. And I, I think my mum knew. I think my mum knew, but she sent Jenny with me, and she came out. She says, "You're pregnant, aren't you?" I said, yeah, you can't tell mum. Don't tell mum. No, 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 she didn't tell mum. I was just absolutely petrified. And I knew I'd got to keep working when that's what I wanted to do. And fortunately, I went on a night, a block of nights. We had three months a year as, as, as nurses that went on a block of three months of nights. And fortunately, I was coming up for my block of nights, which made it a little easier because I slept in the day. So I didn't have to sort of see her all, all the time. And I knitted these cable knitted jumpers, which were really loose. And I also wore a big tight corset as well. I was, I was getting bigger because I'd done my back a couple of years ago and before and had bones in it and the old crinoline laces and stuff. I don't know how the child survived, seriously. But I put all this on and a big cable knit jumper. So I hid it, as I thought, until about November. So what did you think her reaction was going to be? What did you Violent. Okay. And it was. So did you just give you a hiding? Yeah. All right. Uh, even... Well, she bought me a skirt so she could do that. She knew full well I was pregnant in, in the November and I was due in the January. I bought you a skirt. A red skirt it was. <laughs> Go and try it on. Right. So going up the stairs, I thought, what am I going to do? I came, literally came out in a sweat. and I, tried, I couldn't even get it up, let alone do it up. And I went back down. I said, you know, don't you? She says, yes, I've known for a long time. I said, you put me through this? And she's black, isn't it? And I said, no, actually, that was the wrong thing I said. No, it's actually coffee coloured. <laughs> So that just wound her up even more. So yes, so she went at me then. And so, so she gave you a bit of a hiding, I guess. Mm. And what? Um, how did? How did? So, uh, how did you feel about yourself now? That, that now, right at this point, so you've gone through this process mm. of being both physically and sexually abused by this woman, yeah. um, and now you've you've gotten pregnant outside mm. wedlock. Mm. 
uh, how and and then she's obviously physically abusive mm. again how um how how do you feel right now right right at this point how what are you thinking well i'd never had any self esteem i don't have much now but i never had any self esteem and i think it was just like another nail in the coffin i think i you know, I think because I've put up with it all my life, it was just another day, bad day at the office type thing. And I just, again, withdrew again into myself. But that was just the start of me going into myself more because yeah. what I was trying to do was self-preservation. I had to preserve this child. Yeah. No matter what she did to me, I've got to protect. And I was constantly always sitting like this. And even when I was married... And with Dad, he used to have to unfold my arms. It was a habit that I got, self-preservation. I used to have my arms folded all the time. And he used to, don't, you don't have to, don't have yeah. to be that way now. But it was just, that's what he did to you. You just, and I've got to preserve that child. So I protected myself like that. Um, yeah, well, that's what you're doing. It's, it's just another downward tread, you know, just yeah. downward, downward tread. So it was just going to of... constantly go down then, yeah. you know. So um, even though, even though... You know, the, the child, you, you, I guess your years as a child were not enjoyable yeah. at all. But once you got to this age now, you probably thought you'd be becoming an adult and then now started real, a real downturn of like just feeling horrible about yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I think what hurt more than anything, when Jenny went through it the year before, everybody in the family knew, uncles and aunts, cousins, whatever, whatever, yeah. and everybody was very sympathetic. I didn't get that option. Yeah. And I should have learned from my sister's mistakes, attitude. And yeah. well, do you? I don't know. Yes, I take the responsibility. It was my fault. I, I was the one that got pregnant. And I understand all that. But it doesn't change the fact now I'm pregnant. Couldn't you just put your arm around me and say, we can get through this, John, you know, yeah. like they did with Jenny. But I didn't get that. Why? Because they were racist. Yeah. They couldn't handle the fact that they had a grandchild coming that wasn't white. Blows my mind. It blows my mind. So, <coughs> so if we skip forward, we skip forward. So you're 19, living yes, at home in an yeah. abusive environment. You made what I would say one of the most courageous decisions that somebody could make. And I didn't. I didn't really have a choice. See, in those days, in good old days, <laughs> there wasn't anything like single parent allowance. wasn't anywhere to help me financially move out, and I wasn't. I was on a nurse's wage, which in those days wasn't good anyway, because you didn't do it for the money. You did it for the love of the job, and I used to earn forty-five pound a month. That's ninety-eight dollars a month, thereabout, and that just basically covered my bus fare and my keep. So yeah. where was I going to live? With that, was it fair on him? No, it wasn't. So with this, it got to a stage then that I had to just... It wasn't about me anymore. It was about him. He had to have try and have the best upbringing. And I couldn't give him that. I, yeah. I could only give him love. And that wasn't going to pay the bills or give him food. I had to give him his best opportunity, so which I think I did. You know, he Were had you concerned about bringing him into that environment with Yes, your I mom? couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, she wouldn't have had me there. But if she would have had me there, I could never have left him. You know what I mean? I was yeah. too scared. I was used to be bothered when you kids went around and stayed. But it wasn't... She had, She loved her grandchildren. She wasn't with him, but she loved her grandchildren that I had with your dad. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so then if we... So you ended up giving him up for adoption. Yes. Um, yes. And can you just talk us through that moment? Because it's an mm. interesting moment of what mm. happens when you're at the hospital that day. All right, right. okay. Well, um, in those days, you didn't go in and out of hospital like I've done with mine. You have to, because your baby's being adopted, you have to stay in for two weeks in the hope that you'll change your mind. 
which I couldn't. I'd love to have done. But so I'm in an eight better with other women. They all tried for the two weeks I was in. They all tried to come on, June, you can do it. Just look after him. And they all knew you as well. Yes, they. Yeah. You know, they got to know me, and I knew the staff because I was a nurse at the other hospitals. There was a group of hospitals that you go from one to the other, and um, they. The day that I had to do it, Mrs. Blackburn, who was the adoption officer, uh, she was for my sister as well. Um, anyway, there was ten. The time was up, and she came down. She says, Mrs. Blackburn's here. And I was in this eight bedder, and it was a long cor- corridor from where I was to where the mum, the, well, I didn't know my mum was there, but Mrs. Blackburn was standing. So she said, Do you want me to take him? Thinking I was going to take, no, no, no. Bearing in mind, in the two weeks I had him in there, he was always in my bed, he wasn't in his crib at all. Yeah. And it was the policy of the hospital to go in the crib. When you fed him, put him in the crib, in case you lie on him. Anyway, bottom line, sorry, bottom line is um, I had to go this long corridor, and it's the, and he was awake and I'd been trying to get him asleep all that morning because I didn't want him to see. Not he could see, but it was just psychological yeah, for me yeah. that his eyes were closed. So I got up there and she says, your mother's here. And so I knew what because she, she'd only been to see me once in the two weeks. And she walked around the bed and said, is that the thing that's been causing all the upset in the family? And she wouldn't even look at him. So I went up there and she's standing there like the queen with a handbag and her gloves on. And, and um, she just... Um, she said, I just stood there and I was trying to rock him to sleep. She said, and all Mrs. Blackburn said, bless her, is when you're ready, girl. I said, when are you ever ready? When are you ever ready to do something like this? <coughs> and I was trying to hold it together. And as I handed him over, I got my head down. And as I handed him over, looking at him, his eyes followed me as if to say, where am I going? Even though he wasn't thinking that, it was just the look on his face. And she took him. And within a second, <coughs> I just fell to the floor. I just, it's like somebody had killed me. Somebody that I'd shot, I just fell to the floor. And when I looked up, she wasn't there. She must have run, disappeared. And my mum was there and the nurses were helping me up. And then I felt my mum pull on my collar to pull me up. She said, pull yourself together. People are looking at you, it's embarrassing. And I turned around to her and I just said, have you ever given a child up? To which she replied, no. I said, then you don't know what... And I actually swore that I won't. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. I said, it breaks your heart in two. And she just slapped me so hard. It nearly knocked me head off my shoulders. <laughs> Get out in the car. And she knew I had nowhere to go. So I just had to go like a lump to the slaughter. And I thought I was already there. <laughs> and it was snowing. <laughs> Cold. And and so no support again. Yeah. And that breaks my heart to hear that story, Mum. And I've heard it before as well, but, but it's hard to listen to it. And I think um, there'll be people listening that have been through similar, maybe not similar type experiences, but elements of that. I guess I don't. I couldn't even imagine um, having to give up give up your child. But I, I think I, I still maintain that it was an unbelievably courageous decision. Like you wore that so that he didn't have to wear what you had to wear. And so I think that's. Um, it's amazing. <clears throat> That's what I think. <laughs> um, now, after that, after that, um, you've expressed to me before that you felt pretty alone and pretty horrible right at that point. Um, what? How did you deal with it? You mentioned that you went to Switzerland. So can you yeah, tell me that was a little like, bit? Yeah, that was a bit. Um, that was in the February. I gave him up. In the July, I had to actually sign him over for the adoption to actually happen because he had to go to a foster home. And then I went. I had to. I couldn't go back into nursing, so I went and got this awful job. I went and learned to sight and sound um, typing and hated it and had to work in an office with the same people who were just catty with each other. 
and nursing was always so variant you know you didn't get the same thing same day and and I couldn't get back in because I wasn't allowed and they didn't do it in those days because of what I'd done and um Anyway. Hang on, because of what you'd done. Mm. So because you'd had a baby outside of wedlock, you don't get your job back? No. no. Wow. No, because you're down to the individual matron, and she was a single lady in about her 70s, and I don't think she'd ever had a boyfriend. And right. <laughs> <laughs> you're not coming back here. Attitude. And I'd, I'd, accru- I'd done it all wow. properly. I'd accrued all my leave, so I wasn't taking any time yeah. off that I couldn't have. You know, no. Anyway, um, that was mm. the end of that. So I had to take a whole new career path, and nearly drove me mad. And the... Abuse was getting worse again at home, and I thought mentally I wasn't in the right frame of mind, and I thought I can't do this anymore. And my mother actually suggested me getting a job overseas. It's uh, about the only good thing she suggested. So I got the Lady magazine, and I looked for a job, and I managed to get an au pair job in Geneva, and I left in the January the seventh, exactly, just coming up for a year after he was born to go to Switzerland. All right. So I went to Switzerland, and and there probably started to get in a better position does your mind start to get a little bit better while you're over there no no no, i was just rebellious right okay i just went sort of off the rails a little bit and because mom wasn't breathing down my neck i was free in that regard i felt a sense of freedom i didn't literally do the right things but i I wasn't against the law or anything but you know i i just let me hair down a little bit like a 70s child yes i just I lived a life and I wasn't answerable to anybody, yeah. only my boss, you know. Fair enough. <laughs> Made such a big difference. I felt as though the chains had been taken off me. I was free, you know, so I went a bit wild. Oh, you know, fair enough. That's okay. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Put weight on and I've been so big in all my life. But oh, the food was good then. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, it was cooked for me, so I didn't have to cook. Yeah, I, I worked for wealthy people. <laughs> I was an au pair. <laughs> oh. Saw how the other half lived for 12 months. Much 12 months was enough. I love uh, it. Yeah. I love it. Now, I want to skip forward just a little bit yeah. um, to where you, you expressed to me uh, before we did the podcast mm. about um, how you really always struggled with self-confidence, yeah. and that's been a big Still challenge do. your whole yeah. life. Um, but then someone came along uh, named Baron, actually, yeah. which is interesting, yes. which yes. is my dad. <laughs> but and, and what was it that that he was able to do to help you to see some value in yourself? Well, if I could just go back a little bit. When I came back from Switzerland... Um, I, I came back from, they paid for me to come back for my 21st, which was in the October and I had to only for a week, but I, I met up with Paul again, the father of, of my son. And just to see if there was anything there, bearing in mind in those days, there's no internet, there's no mobiles. So, you know what I mean? So I hadn't seen him for 10 months, basically. And I just wanted to see, just wanted to see if there's anything there and he felt there was. And so I'd seen him a couple of times in that week, but didn't say anything. Obviously we we're back to the lying again. And uh, and I was like 21 then. And uh, I, when I got back, I flew back to Switzerland. And as I walked in the door, the phone, she had she had the phone in her hand. And she says, it's your dad. And so I said, oh, she wants to say that I was safe. So I said, all right, I've arrived safely. I don't care. You've seen that guy, that black guy again while you've been here. Jenny, my sister, told him. And he says, never darken our door again. We don't have a daughter. And hung up on me. Right. Okay. Well, so I had to find somewhere to live in that two months while I was there. And I found a friend of mine who I did nursing with and grew up with and went to the same school. And so I asked, I wrote to her and said, is there any chance I can come stay with you? She knew what my mum, she knew my mum. And she said, yeah, yeah, no problem. On one condition. I said, what's that then? You don't have anything to do with the guy I'm going out with. His name's Baron. (laughs) 
okay, I didn't know who this baron was. So I said, that's fine. I didn't like men anyway. They were, <laughs> I, I was tending, I was in, my head was in the wrong headspace and I didn't like men. So I wasn't interested. I said, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I, don't care. I just need somewhere to live. So yes, I went and lived with her on the 18th of December when I flew back. Yeah. Okay. So and then and then, then we you got to yeah actually got to meet him. Yes, the next day uh, went up on the bus into Wolverhampton. Got to come meet Baron. Okay, whatever. I was so not interested, and I was I was going through that anger phase. Then I think the hurt was still hurting, and I was angry with men in general. You know, I thought they all I classified them as all treating women badly and all this. I was in the wrong headspace. Anyway, we got off the bus, walked to go to the pub where he was meeting us and the first person that I'd met as I was coming off the bus was my sister she didn't know I was back in England oh why are you back and I couldn't talk to her I just couldn't talk to her and I'm telling mum I said you can tell mum whatever you like because she couldn't tell me because I wasn't living there anymore and so we met Baron and we're sitting in the pub and I had my lime and lemon because the smoke was sort of getting to me in the pub and um he walked in. Now, I've met some of her boyfriends before, Pams, and they never had a suit on or anything. This guy had a suit on, and he had his jacket over his shoulders, and suave. <laughs> you like to what, think Pam? he's... Pam? Pam? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was introduced to him, and I was rude to him. I just thought, no, I don't like you. <laughs> Mind you, I didn't like any men at that stage. And... Um, yeah, it was, and he's in it. I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I apologised afterwards because I was really horrible to him. And, um, and he turned around, I said, why don't you just walk away? And he says, I looked upon you as a challenge. I said, he probably still does 45 years later, but anyway, <laughs> he made me. <laughs> it funny. And, and so from there, I, I remember you mentioned something to me about... Uh, the second or third time that you met, you actually went mm. out for dinner. Mm, and yes. Yeah, oh, and Pam was... actually said, well, yes, why don't you yes, take no, her out Pam, for dinner? She's well, having a bad that, day. What, that happened, what happened, you see, because I went and saw Paul again, and it was um, Boxing Night, Boxing Day Night, and I knew Baron was at Pam's then, and um, I went up to the bus to see Paul because I hadn't seen him since I'd been back in England. I'd been back like a week. And he, he, he it was a really cold night, and... It was dark, and he got off the bus and swung me around. He was so happy to see me. You're back now. And I said, yeah, it's oh, great. And just something clicked inside in here. I can't do this anymore. And I said, I looked at him, and I said, I can't do this anymore. And he just burst into tears. And I said, I just couldn't do it. I was crying as well, because a big thing. We'd had a child together, but I, I couldn't do this anymore. I couldn't go down this road of deceit. And he had a family, and... He had an arranged marriage and he got three kids, which I found out when I was seven months pregnant, so I couldn't do anything. And I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't. I wanted to live a, a normal life. I, so I, I finished it. And, but I was a mess. And I couldn't get on the bus like that. So I, rang, I went, found a call box and rang Pam and says, is Baron still there? Can I have a lift home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She felt sorry for me. Not my fault. <laughs> I felt sorry for me. And she asked him, she said to Baron, take you out for me and make her feel better. And I was able to talk to him. We talked so easily. And I didn't really know the guy, but he opened up and he'd had two engagements and he felt the hurt. I haven't had a child like you, but I have the hurt of having two engagements and the breakup. And, and I found him so easy to talk to. And he he genuinely wanted to listen. He, he, he genuinely cared, you know, and I've never had that in my life. And so to me, it was... I couldn't believe it. It was just amazing. And, and I just... And I knew he was already spoken for, but I... I thought this is just, he, he gave me a glimmer of hope in man, humankind, that they're not all people that want to hurt and want to abuse. And he 
he really, really helped me to get a little bit more stability in my feelings. I mean, I was a long way to go and he, I still struggle now, but he gave me that help, that hope of, oh, people aren't all bad, which is what I put them all in that same cliche. Yeah. yeah. And so that helped you start the, I guess, the rise yeah. out of the trough. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. Um, because I've been amazed that, you know, after I listened to more and more of his story, mm. um, I've always been amazed that how do you go from being abused terribly, mm. terribly abused? And, and there was a number of other things we haven't spoken mm, yeah. about. Um, but how do you go through those um, experiences and then go, okay, I'm going to go and have 10 more children? I don't know. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? No, um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, that's a hard one. I don't know. Love? I think out of everything, out of all of this, but your dad didn't know until we'd been married 36 years before he knew. I hid it and I hid it. And things weren't sort of slotting in. And, and then the one day I just knew he had to know and um, something happened and I just sat there and I cried. And he couldn't get his head around it and he sat there and he didn't say anything. He says, is something going to tell me? Or, and I just, just sat there and just sat there. And for 45 minutes, I think the whole of my life just came out in tears. And it wasn't just crying, I was sobbing. And he didn't know what he'd done. He's never done anything else. He just kept shaking my head. I couldn't talk. So he sort of tried to bring in people into the, to help me to sort of, he was trying to find out what the problem was. He says, is it something to do with me, kids? Is it something to do with your past? And I went, I didn't acknowledge. And he, it's just the look on his face. He says, it was your mum. I'm just started crying again. He said, I have no idea. He said, I knew. No, he always treated my mother like royalty. He didn't like her. What was interesting, when he first met my mum, he said there was something about her he didn't like, and he likes everybody, bless him. And he's got a good judge of character, but the hairs on the back of his neck would come up. Like It's just something about my mother he couldn't put his finger on. Then when he found out, he said, that was the thing that I couldn't put my finger on as to why I didn't really like her. But he always treated her so beautifully. Um... So when I was able to, I mean, I only talk, told him parts of parts of it, and it was enough for him, like. But it was just, he said, why don't you tell me before? I said, you just don't talk about it. You just don't talk about it. Yeah. Has it and that's a very old school mentality, it is, I guess. It is. It is. It is. It and, is. And, and I think back in, back in those times, that was how, that's how, it happened. That's how it was. Because who would believe a kid of a, 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 an adult that belongs to these um, uh, associations and different you know, circles. Yes, and, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no welfare workers. So, did you find it helpful when you eventually told that? Yes. Yeah. So I think. Is and that, when I've told the kids if, as well, if you, like, triple shared is a triple arbed or something. It just took the pressure out of the pressure cooker off a little bit, and um, I struggle now. Yeah. I still struggle now. So for somebody, and we're not speaking about the details of that <coughs> no. abuse, obviously. No. obviously it was long lasting mm. and and it pretty horrific. Like, yeah. Um, but I just wanted to ask a question. If, if, if there was someone listening to this and who was struggling with that type of experience or has had that type of experience before, yeah. what would you say has been, has been the biggest help for you to be able to cope with it and deal with it? Um, what talk about it. To talk about it. Yeah. 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 There's no shame in it. Whereas when you grow up, there is. And yeah, cause she only ever did it when I was sick. So I didn't know what I'd done wrong for to warrant that behaviour. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I think to to um, and I was always sick. That's true. 
thought I was in hospital, like, you know. So there's plenty of opportunities. I spent two I weeks guess. at school and two weeks in hospital, you know. So she, she had a field day. And I don't, I've, I've spoken to family that I've spoken to, um, aunts and that. I says, she said, we always thought that she was a bit strange, but couldn't put our finger on it. I don't even know if my dad knew, Baron. I don't know. I don't know, because he was away all the time. Yeah. How, I don't know. Has the response from people when you've actually told the story, and I know this is a very public thing, you're telling mm. the story, and I really appreciate it, right? Mm. But has, has the response been <clears throat> as you expected? Did, like, did you... Have people been people kinder been shocked, about it than shocked. what you expect? I think the people have been shocked. And when I actually told my cousin Pat, who lives in Philadelphia, when we went over in 2006, spent five days with her. It was like the five days from hell. But um, look, they tried to treat us nice. But when she found out about it, she ripped me a serve. She said, my Auntie Phil wouldn't do that. And also her, my other uncle, my dad, mum's brother, Uncle Ted, I spoke to him in England as well. He's, he's passed away since. Um, he said, no, you're wrong. You're lying. You're wrong. Because they wouldn't accept the fact that their sister was capable of something yeah. like that. And that's fair enough. I'm not so knocking you, that. But I said, well, why would I lie? I don't would you say that the, <coughs> the the more support for it has come outside of your immediate sort of family? Uh, well, with my children, though, and they just... <laughs> oh, some of the kids have come back, you know. She was here now, kill her. <laughs> Attitude. Oh, but and that's, that's fair. And that's fair. That's defence. That's OK. But, um, no, I think... I've, I've spoken to members of the church, you know, where we go to church, and over the years, um, they they have they, they feel sorry for me, and I don't want people's pity, no. but it helps me know that people do care, you know, and um, yeah, I still have issues. I remember when I was able to talk to mum at two dollars a minute. It was in those days, and she was a couple of days before she died. She died of cancer. And I was pregnant with number eight, Michael, and it was in the February, and I managed to get her near the phone. I rang the hospice where she was, and they put her near the phone so I could talk to her, knowing that she was imminent. And she spoke to you four kids, because yeah. she remembered you, and I remember her talking to you, made her laugh, and she said to, to you, what do you like about school? And you said lunch. You know, and I, <laughs> that's just typical <laughs> of <laughs> But it made her laugh, and but she said to me, when, before I hung up on her, not hung up on her, before I finished the call, she actually said to me, I'll haunt you. So help me, I'll haunt you. And and uh, even now I struggle. You know, I struggle with Mother's Day. I struggle with lots of things. She'll just come into my mind and, you know, when I think I'm okay and she'll just torment me. It's just there. It's just, it scars you. That's, that's all I can say. It scars but you. I guess the message I got from you is it's not something to be ashamed of. No. And talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. Talk to got somebody, to talk just to get somebody. it out. I left it too long. Yeah. I seriously did and it was damaging me more. By leaving it too long. So when I spoke to your dad, I had an ally. Finally, I had an ally, someone my side of the camp, that wouldn't judge me, that wouldn't, you know, he's been my he's been my stability. Yeah. He seriously has. So, so on that, I'm going to skip forward a little bit. You you have been married for how many years? 45 years. 45 years. Super effort, by the yes, way. Well done. That's brilliant. Um, now... You've had 10 children later. Yes. So, and, and not including John, so it's no, 11, yeah. including John. And you actually have the number plates, yeah. Jill 11. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Now, interesting <coughs> with John, I just want to touch on that just a little bit if we could. It when, So, you gave him up in, two, in 1971. One, yeah. And you started to look for him yeah. in 2006. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you... Can you just talk us a little bit through that story of what happened in 2006? Excuse me. We went over to England and I can't remember the details, but somebody 
I have a, had a cousin Pete who worked at British Telecom and he was quite high up and he managed to find the address. Now, I th I'm not sure if that's before we got someone to look for him, like a private investigator, whatever you call them, but they found him quite quickly. But at that stage, he didn't want to know. And that was fair. And she said, don't get upset about it. I think we were already back from England. She rang me in Australia. She said, don't get upset about it, George. It's quite common for, for boys rather than girls. They tend to take longer to want to know their birth roots, birth thing. Whereas girls are a little bit more sensitive and they want to know who mom is. He said, but don't think, you know, that's okay. And I said, but I was just grateful he was still alive. And she couldn't give me any other details because he wasn't interested. So that was okay. So that sort of made me feel better. So I... Pete managed to find the address of where he was living, so I started sending him birthday cards for January 21st, and I did it every year. And I uh, couldn't do emails because I didn't have any other thing. I just had this address, and so I did a card every year. And this, when he turned 40, um, he, I sent a little card, and I think put to the to the effect in the card, I just want to know that you're okay. You don't have, just if you could just let me know you're okay. You don't have to if you don't want to have anything to do with me. I I have no control in your life. I just want like to be a friend. If you could just let me know. And he left me until about the August of the same year. And then suddenly I got an email. I nearly fell on the floor. And a photograph of him actually holding the World Cup. I don't know which World Cup it was. but I think, you know. And um, and for the first time, I'd, I'd practised in my mind for all those years how I was going to react and what I was going to say. And he sent an email about what his life had been like. And so I was first time ever I was able to explain why I did what I did. And then we were going over to England, I can't remember which year, um, and I asked if I could meet up with him, and I thought he'd say no. And he said yes, and I'm like, okay. It was a good day, that one, that day, and we went down to London to see him because he's based in London, and he travels a lot. And uh, he's done very well for himself, and I'm very, very grateful. Um, but was, it's like going to the principal. I was so nervous to meet him. And we were with our friends, and they were sitting in the hotel waiting. Why were you nervous? Just seeing him, whether he'd like me or how no, he'd react that's, towards that's me. Amazing. I don't know. How, yeah. I was petrified. I couldn't eat my breakfast. I thought I was going to throw up. It was a real mess. Oh. So eventually they saw him pull up, and he was walking towards, and I was shaking. I was in such a state. I was like, once I'd met him, it was just the lead up. And I introduced myself and introduced Bon and Dave. And so Dad and Bon and Dave, we went in another place room and dad and bron and dave stayed away so i could just talk to him and dad went and got him a cup of coffee then left us and it was a little bit strange to begin with because we're two strangers type thing and uh, i again explained why i did what i did and he says he said to me he said i'd left you too long he says and what you did was the most selfless thing any woman could ever have done and i thank you for that and so I thought, oh, I broke the ice a little bit. And it was just amazing. I was with him for about an hour. And um, then he had to go. His phone kept ringing, so he had to go. And I thanked him most professionally. And he gave me a hug. And we had a photograph taken. And, and it was awesome. And it was the most, it was the best day. I had such a lovely time. And it was just like my pressure cooker had calmed down for the first time in 40 years. That he still liked me. And I was, you know, he respected the fact that I did what I did. And... And and then when he'd left, we went and saw Downton Abbey. So it was an absolute best Great day. Ever. day. <laughs> and then he sent me an email and thanked me very much for seeing him in the evening when I got home, back to yeah. where we were. And, and since then, um, my brother Adam yes. has gone to yes. see him as well. Yes. So yeah, he's slowly year. meeting the brood. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, and so I think that's 
I, I just think that's an amazing story. It's yeah. one of those stories you see in a movie, yeah. you know. And it's funny because <laughs> now Adam's, Adam's wife's having a baby and because they're having a boy, the second name is the same surname of John Lyles, of Mason Lyles. And so I wrote and told oh, him, he says, it. I'm so pleased about that. Good name. <laughs> so we keep in contact. We've got something in common with the cricket. And, yeah. Yeah. And he's very much been welcomed into the family. Yes, Everyone, everyone's yeah. pretty keen to make yes, him when they, they get are. a chance uh, to go to the UK. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a great end to the yeah, story in yeah. that regard, you know. And um, But at the same time, here's a couple of things I want to touch on. And you've yeah. spoken a lot about your story, but I want to add my perspective yeah. on the story. And um, we've had, you know, you've had 10 other kids yeah. and pretty busy household, to be to fair. Say the least. <laughs> so I think you used, to, you used to say you used to drive about a thousand kilometers a yes. week when we were teenagers yes. and had all yeah. our different sporting yes. achievements. But the thing that's really stood out to me, Mum, and why I wanted to have you on here is all those challenges, all those stuff, all that stuff that you've had to deal with, and there was other things that yes, we haven't spoken yeah, about. Yeah. But all of those challenges, you just never stopped. Mm -hmm. Like, I probably could be described as an ultimate workhorse. Yeah. Like, I don't know what those horses are that drag the carts. Yeah, with the drag carts. Drag whatever horses, they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are. Um, that's what you've done every day, and just constantly done every. Like, I think a good example is um, at. The church that we attend, we have a, a morning seminary at 6 a.m. Mm. from the from years 9 to year 12. Yeah. So for four years, um, you would go and take kids to this seminary or Bible study yeah. in the morning yeah. at 6 a.m. Yeah. And can you tell us how many years you did that for in a row? Yes. No, well, actually, it was interesting. About halfway through, I decided to sit down one day and work out when the children were born and when they actually started seminary, if I could actually have a year off. So one might finish year 12 and the other one's still only in year <laughs> 8. So I could just have one one year off, but it didn't work out that way. Um, so I had three or four going at one stage. So I went for 24 years. 24 years. Yes, at 24 sick, years. Dropping kids off at things without a brag. I think that deserves a, a, a medal of some description. <laughs> Um, I do it now and I've yeah. only been doing it for two years and I'm like, poor, this is tough. But I, I think, and that was, but that was your approach to it. Yes. Like never yeah. relied on anyone no. else. Yeah. The carpooling never worked too well. No, it was always like, no, I was doing the carpooling. stuff it, I just do it myself. And, and I think that's been your attitude all yeah. the way through. Yeah. No matter the challenge, mm. Just do it any just like do it. Just, just do, do it, it anyway. anyway. Just stuff it. Just I'm gonna do it myself, yes, and yes. don't worry about very independent. Don't worry about worrying about anyone else. To help the point you out. of annoying. I'm about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very independent. And so I just appreciate that, and I think it's a great example um, for other people and how they how we deal with life. And sometimes we can get bogged down with little challenges. And I think your story provides us with great perspective. Um, I was lucky enough to, to grow up in a house without yeah. any of that sort of nonsense. Yeah. Like it yeah. was just a, a loving, yeah. comfortable house. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And, and other people have that experience as well. And, but then they have other challenges in yeah. life. And yeah. so I think your story just gives us great perspective on go and still do the things that are important and, yeah. and the way that you're able to deal with it. Yeah. And, and like you've said, sometimes you didn't deal with it that well. Yeah. And, but looking for, um, other people maybe to talk to is a good idea. It, is, definitely. it makes a huge in, difference. In hindsight, I wished I'd done it before. Yeah. But you learn just to keep quiet. It'll go away, but it doesn't. It doesn't go away. No, it just pulls you down, pulls you back. And, and I think the, the other reason that I wanted to get you on is you, you're, you're someone that doesn't believe that your story is remarkable, but it yeah. is. It's incredible. And you don't understand the, the power that's in that story and, and what you've gone through. And then to, to like, it's hard enough having one child. Yeah. But to have 10 children um, is a remarkable <laughs> feat. It's a remarkable feat and a remarkable effort. We're all still sane. And I don't know if you are, because I don't know if you could be having 10. But 
you just do it. You just, you know, and it was quite funny, actually, because um, I did fall pregnant with another one and, um, and when our youngest was five. And sadly, I had a miscarriage. But when I actually told your dad, I said, oh, I'm pregnant. But I was... Oh, I just couldn't get my head around it because uh, Sean was about to start school. I thought, oh, night feet. Oh, I've got to go through all this again. And I really wasn't comfortable with it. And he just laughed and he says, oh, that's good. When you feed the 5,000, another one doesn't make any difference at all. <laughs> and how old, <laughs> well, how old were you then? Uh, I already had two grandchildren, so uh, 46. 46 and got pregnant again. Could you actually, I'm okay for you to share it. Could you share what dad said when you actually called him to tell him that you were pregnant? Really? Are you okay with Yeah, go for it. Okay. Just say it. Oh, I rang him and he was on the road and I said, oh, you need to stop the car or stop. And he says, what's the matter? And I said, I'm pregnant. And I've, I've never cried with any other baby, but I cried with him. I'm pregnant. <laughs> I can't do this. And he said, oh, I think that's great. At least I'm not firing blanks. And I thought... <laughs> Right, that's all. And Lindsay just thought it was hilarious. Oh, uh, well, I think it's laughing. hilarious because that, that sums up dad to a T, doesn't it? I think that's hilarious. And I think, but you're, but I love the, the reason I wanted to share that, I love his attitude to it, right? Yeah. So you're 46, yeah. you're past the time that you yeah. really want to be having kids yeah. and you've already got grand, grandchildren. Um, and his response was find some humour in it. Yeah, and, just, like, and then he said, when you're feeding 5,000, one more, more doesn't make any difference. Matter? So the, I, I love his perspective on it. And I, and I think, that's oh, what I love. Kids. That's kids. what I love about your story, <laughs> Mum, and Dad's story as well. Is yeah. that it's, it's find the good, the good view of it, and yeah. a good perspective yeah. in no matter the challenge that you've got. He's always got. said to me, "Joe, there's a positive in everything." So um, you just got it. Sometimes you look for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, "You always look to pop me as a challenge." Your sweetheart, I still do. <laughs> Especially when you're on your downtime. Uh, <laughs> well, I would I would like to say a huge thank you for coming on. Thank you for um, having me. This has been entertaining for me to hear the story and and heartbreaking as well because yeah. it's hard for me to to listen to those challenges yeah. that you've been through. But I would just say that that it's just super to have you on. And and for those that are listening, I um, I think so much can be gained from listening to other people's stories, and that's why these podcasts are happening. So please subscribe to the podcast, and please, I've had a few people contact me and of people that they think would be great to have oh, on this podcast, yeah. and and I think. I'd encourage those listening to to let me know of those stories. People's stories around us are incredible and they can affect us in such a positive way. When we understand the challenges that other people are dealing with, we can view our challenges just a little bit differently. Yes, yeah. And so once again, a huge thank you for coming on and for, for thank you to everybody for having a listen. And uh, please jump on, subscribe to my podcast and uh, can't wait to share the next one with you. Have a great day. Talk to you soon.